Hello, most this week's sports zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetnam. James, looking forward to talk, talking all things sports in Salford and beyond. Perhaps in Salford, but not necessarily beyond. England going out of the World Cup was a hit to all of us. It's going to take some time to get over. And yeah, I suppose, like the rest of the country, I'm feeling the blues today, Rob. Yeah, difficult uh, result. Obviously, 2-1 defeat against France. Uh, missed penalty by Harry Kane. Uh, James, what's your sort of immediate thought about that? The Harry Kane penalty. Uh, his record going into last night was 16 converted out of 19. It's a good record. So, I suppose, in a sense, he was due to miss one, wasn't he? His first penalty was perfect. He couldn't have put it any better. And the second one... It took him a while to step up, didn't it? You could tell, you, tell he was feeling the pressure. The nerves were on. He was messing with his socks. He was doing all sorts. And he's just blasted it over the bar. And he's blasted it over very high. What I will say is, I hope people don't hold it against him. This is football. This can happen, Rob. And what I liked straight in the aftermath of that was Jude Bellingham running up to Carry Kane, patting him on the head and trying to amp him up to go again. And that shows an elite mentality for me. Yeah, uh, Jude Bellingham, fantastic. Had a fantastic tournament, uh, James. Obviously, only still a young player, but you know, he showed great maturity, he showed great technical ability, scored a good goal as well in, in the competition. Really, you look at what he's been able to produce, future bright for him in England. Yeah, the future definitely is bright for him. I mean, he's so young, isn't he? And this England team still is very young. I mean, we'll come on to this in a minute. Have we missed a window? When we can argue that either way. What I will say is that the England team is still very young and they're going to have more opportunities. Yeah, and it's it's difficult to say, obviously, because we have been sort of hurt by previous, uh, you know, competition and exits. But this one does feel a bit different, really, because we were the better side. We played some good football. We, we, we had a couple more opportunities, possible penalty shouts, James. I know the referee has taken a lot of stick, hasn't he? over the last uh, day or so about some of their decisions. Do you think that's right or wrong? I think his referee throughout the game was pretty appalling, Rob. There was foul after foul after foul after foul that he didn't give and it was frustrating. Having said that, we still had a lot of chances that we didn't take and those penalties, I actually think he got them all right. I thought the two that he gave were penalties, the shove and the other one. The first one, I thought it was just about outside the box. I don't know how you felt. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people talking about these penalty decisions, but you know, is that a sign of desperation on our behalf that we we don't want a chance? This this England team played remarkably well. Don't forget a lot of talk about Mbappe and how he was going to sort of terrorise the England defence, but didn't really have an opportunity throughout the game. Kyle Walker defended very well around him, and uh, yeah, I, I thought we were a better team throughout. Um, obviously, the referee has taken a lot of stick. In the, in the last few uh, hours, but it is what it is. We've got to dust ourselves down and start again and, and build for that uh, Euros in, in Germany in a couple of years' time. We do. And I suppose the main question to ask now, Rob, is will Gareth Southgate be there? It's a good question, James, because obviously a lot of uh, coaches who get knocked out of this uh, World Cup uh, step down, Brazilian uh, for one and, and, and German, and, you know, they, they've got to... You've got to make a decision. I know the FA like uh, Gareth Southgate. Gareth Southgate has a respect of his players. Um, the, his record in the last couple of tournaments is, is, is very good. Uh, for me, to, to to get rid of him at this point would be a real uh, knee-jerk reaction. 
Um, I, I feel that we need to keep him. I think he's building a team that, that you know, with with a couple of additions, you know, people coming through this, the system will dominate uh, world football for, for the next couple of years. We've just got to make sure that we, we keep this team together uh, and, and we grow because I don't want a rash decision where we go and get rid of Gal Southgate, bring someone else in with a different mentality, uh, that the players then have to adapt to that. Why, why, are we, why are we trying to fix something that might not necessarily be broken? I mean, it's one of them things. He's lost to France. Yeah. And granted, they aren't the France side of four years ago. And they are missing a couple of key players. You know, you Paul Pogba's, you're carrying Benzema's. But they're still the reigning world champions. And England were the underdogs going in. It's not like we were expected to win the game. We've not. This isn't the Iceland defeat, is it? By any stretch of the imagination. Gareth Southgate has done something magical in the last two tournaments. And granted, Germany aside, you'd have expected him to beat everybody that's coming up against. But what he's done is united the nation. He isn't just a manager. He's been a national icon, a hero. So to get rid of him after everything he's done, it would feel somewhat unfair. But to go back to my earlier point regarding the routes we've had, how do you feel about this? Have we done so well in major competitions because we've had easy routes or because of how well Southgate has managed us? I don't I don't think we've had easy routes, James. I, I, I think, obviously, you can only beat what's in front of you. Um, winning is the most important thing. Um, I, I wouldn't say that we've had easy runnings to, to in either competition, but you know, are you, are you disagree with that? I mean, you look at the groups who had them fairly comfortably, and aside from that Germany game, hmm. who've we come up against? I mean, in the World Cup, we had Colombia and Sweden, in the Euros, we had, I mean, Denmark were our semi final opponents. It, it could have been a lot tougher, yeah. I suppose when you when you come in, when you're talking about that. We aren't playing a top five nation, and I suppose the look of the draw comes into it, doesn't it? And I suppose Gareth Southgate will be thinking that you know, if he, he bows out now, he has a bit of a legacy. Um, but I suppose he he thinks it's does he think it's unfinished business? That that might be a, a thing that he's come so far, he's took us to a Euro final, he took us to a, a you know a quarter final in the World Cup. Um, you know, does he think there's, there's unfinished business there with the players he has available? Because don't forget, likes of Phil Foden, Jude Bellingham, you know, they have two and three World Cups ahead of them in the, you know, fitness wise. So this World Cup wasn't the be all end all for them. So you're hoping that, you know, the next one and the next Euro Championship, a bit more maturity, then playing together a bit more at international level. Um, we'll have a better team, and then who knows what might happen. We might come and uh, take the trophy back to uh, to England. I mean, what might do? I mean, what he has done that other managers haven't been able to do. He's got the squad ticking because we've always had great players. I mean, if you look back to you know the two thousand eight nine era, we had Wayne Rooney, Steven Gerrard, John Terry, Ashley Cole, and there's no doubt in terms of the actual players on the pitch, we were probably the best team on the planet. But we never came close to getting the job done. Southgate has had a team. Without the egos, they didn't have the quality, but they 
don't have the ego problem. And I think that's absolutely fundamental for his success. He's been able to get the team playing together. He's got them gelling together. No player wants to one-up anybody else. They're not all rivals at the highest level from, you know, your Chelsea's, your Premier League United. They're all spread out and they want to play for each other. And he's inserted a real good feeling into the squad that other managers haven't. And I think without that feeling, we might just go back to square one. Yeah, we've got players who can play. And, and can play in tight areas. And that's a big thing in international football. It's you're pressurised all the time, you know, and, and, and that is important that the likes of Bellingham and, and Phil Fold and uh, Jordan Henderson, players like that, Mason Mount, players like that can play and, and give and go and, and, and be able to recycle the ball. I think lots of English players, you know, previous years, yeah, been great players, great going forward, great scoring goals, but ball retention, couldn't keep the ball well enough in, in tricky situations. And that's why we failed against uh, other teams. And that's why we never really got to a, uh, you know, a, a semi-final or, or a final with that goal in generation. We were full of stars, but when push comes to shove and, and when you had to do the basics right, we just weren't able to do that. But what does that come down to? Like you said, was it egos? Was it in fighting? There's lots of you know previous players coming on uh, the the media talking about what went wrong, but it seems like this team have learned from their errors and and are now together as as a one unit, and that's the important thing going forward. They are, we are a unit, and if you look back on the game, it's fine margins. If that penalty from Kane goes in and he doesn't blast it over the bar, I mean we spoke about his ratio of, of scoring before. It was more than likely going in. If it hits the back of the net, we could be sat here having won a penalty shootout. Happy as Larry. It, it is harsh to want Southgate's head on a stick because a penalty didn't go in. Yeah, it is so important. 2-2 two, two at that point, James. The momentum is with us. And like you said, anything could happen. But we've had tournaments like this before, haven't we, James? Where ifs, buts, maybes, what ifs. What end of the, end of the, end of the day, the... The defeat was cruel. But also, we talk about Gareth Southgate. He took Saka off. And for me, Saka was the most dangerous player on that on that England field. With 10 minutes to go, he decided to take our most dangerous man off. Yeah, we were talking about him carrying on um, in, his, in his job. But it makes you wonder how and why he made that decision. I mean, one of the big criticisms of Gareth Southgate is that he doesn't know how to handle big moments. Do you think that was evidence of that? Possible, it is possible, James. Because obviously, you know, we, we we always look at the big moments, like you said, and how people react to that. And yeah, he obviously had his own views. And I think with ten minutes to go, I think the positive thing about it is the players kept playing their way. And I thought with five minutes to go, ten minutes to go. It should have been like the Alamo. We should have just been throwing the ball in the box. Harry, Harry Maguire should have been in, been in there trying to get his head on something. Uh, but that, is that the English way? Is that the English, uh, you know, 20 years ago where we were just trying to find a way to win when these players are technical and they know how to open up a defence and they were just looking for an opening? Um, is it is it different now? Because I, I just thought with five minutes to go, we're, we're down by one. Just throw the kitchen sink and see what comes. For me, it never happened. France were just better than us, weren't they? I mean, I actually think that we had a better squad all in all. Hmm. But they outplayed us. They were just better on the day. And and I know given Sunday, we could have beaten them. 
it just wasn't to be. And I think to pile it all on Southgate is incredibly harsh. But that's probably not the biggest story of the week from a global perspective. Because Cristiano Ronaldo will retire without having won the World Cup. Yeah. Which is a real shame. Because obviously, you know, he is considered one of the greatest. Obviously, Portugal going out to Morocco. I mean, what kind of shock? that Morocco, the first African side to get to a semi-final. Uh, you know, the fans were, were really passionate about it. But beating Portugal was a real shock. It was. I mean, looking at Morocco, firstly, at the start of this tournament, Samuetto did a prediction and it caused mass controversy because it looked on paper ridiculous. And in his final, he had Morocco. Unbelievably, that could be a correct prediction. Yeah. And everyone was laughing. <laughs> but now who's laughing about, I suppose, Samuelito? Uh, he knows what he's talking about. He's from that, from that uh, you know, area of, of, the, of the world. And, you know, all the African nations have done really well in this World Cup. And it, and it shows that, you know, is the World Cup lopsided to Europe? Should more African nations get an opportunity to get into the, uh, the World Cup? I like to see as many countries as possible because we've got the European Championships for the for, for the European teams, haven't we? So for the World Championships, I like to see more teams and I like seeing the game expanded. And obviously people like Piers Morgan and Gary Neville would argue that that's a perfect case to take it to Qatar, but I don't necessarily agree with that. But I do like to see as many teams as possible, new teams, getting involved in competition, seeing the game grow, and more importantly, giving the fans an opportunity to cheer on this sport. Yeah, Morocco, you know, what a fantastic tournament they've had. Another surprise, Croatia beating Brazil, obviously. The samba, the samba, the samba dancing ended. James, what do you think of that? It did. And that was a shot, wasn't it, Rob? Luckily, I have Croatia in the sweepstake at work. Oh. So it was beautiful for me. I was enjoying <laughs> right. every last second. And people can't believe how far my Croats have got. Oh, yeah. I was a bit of a laughing stock at the start of the tournament because they were quite an old team four years ago when they made the finals. So never mind now. But they just won't go away. They will keep on pressing. They won't be deterred. And as good as Brazil are, I think Croatia have every right to have beaten them. And I'm exceptionally excited for where they go. And the fact that they managed to show that much bottle in a penalty shootout against Brazil says the world. And we're just talking about Cristiano Ronaldo not getting his shot at winning the World Cup. It wasn't meant to be for him, but it could be for Luka Modric. Yeah. You know, Croatia, like you said, they've got nerves. They've got nerves to steal, haven't they? They know how... They've been there. They've done experience. They know how to win a penalty shootout, and they, and they have the goalkeepers playing out of his skin, you know, saving loads of loads of penalties. And like you said, it's all about hitting the target. We've talked about the England English problem penalties. No such thing with Croatia. They have that mentality to to see it through, and that's so important. Obviously, beating Brazil in the in the penalty shootout, big surprise. Everyone thought it was open for an Argentina uh, Brazil semi final, but. They had other ideas, didn't they? And now we've got a, another semi-final involving Argentina, but they had to beat Holland. And what a game that was, James. Yeah, another tremendous game. And Argentina looked to basically have it all done and dusted, didn't they? Mm. And then suddenly, Netherlands get one back. And then that free kick was a piece of utter beauty. Yeah, <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah, but that's his creativity, James. And everybody's just waiting for that ball to get whipped over the wall that one last chance and then it's that little bit of out the box thinking and, and he goes and scores and, and that's that's the important thing and that's the that's the thing that makes the World Cup so special they'll replay that, that goal over and over again and it, it really everyone 
got everyone on their feet that moment. It did. I, it was electric in my living room because, believe it or not, Netherlands were my other team. Oh, right. Okay. So I had Croatia, Netherlands and South Korea were my oh. three that I guided through. The only person at work to get three teams into oh. the last 16. So uh, quite impressive. Mm. But regardless, it was an amazing moment. Obviously, they haven't gone all the way. They haven't won it. But I think Louis van Gaal can be incredibly proud of the, the managerial performance he put in because he's done fantastically. Yeah, and obviously it was, there's lots of uh, talk about Holland. Obviously, missed the last couple of tournaments, and they they are a, a team together now. But coming up against Argentina, you know they are you know a real special side with with Lionel Messi, the the main focus of that. Um, he had another good game as well, and, and it it will be interesting to see what happens in in the uh, the semi final. Like I say, Argentina take it take it on Croatia and France take it on Morocco. You know four. You know, great teams and two great games there to look forward to. No, certainly. And before we break them down, Rob, mm. from a neutral perspective, I've seen arguments either way for this. A lot of people are saying that, as a purist, we wanted Argentina-Brazil. Mm. That South American derby, that game that we all dream about, and El Clasico, if you will. However... I prefer the idea of an underdog team like Croatia making it to the semi-finals. Then I've really got somebody to root for. What, what side of the fence do you sit on? Well, if you're dreaming, if you're playing dream matches here, James, Argentina against Brazil, both playing the, the Samba way, both playing that South American football that's, that we love to see, attacking football, you know, skills, goals, crowd noise, colour, everyone's excited. But in reality... Two top teams don't want to lose. So I, I'd have predicted that both Argentina and Croatia would have nullified each other rather than wanting to go out and beat the other team. So part of me is glad that they both didn't get to that semi-final because if they both got to that semi-final, we'll be all you know hamming it up, talking about it could be the greatest World Cup, get, World Cup game of all time and it's nil-nil with 20 minutes to go. And, and you're all thinking, well, somebody do something when... This one, with Argentina against Croatia, like you said, Croatia, the underdogs, Argentina are Argentina with all that history and, and, and also Lionel Messi looking for that first World Cup win. Argentina, pressure is on them. For me, Croatia, like you said, are the underdogs. They have found the way through this uh, this tournament and I think, really, they will get to a point, Croatia, where if it is still nil-nil, uh, you know, getting into extra time, they'll be happy to take it to penalties because they know how to win one. Yeah, they know how to convert, don't they? But again, I suppose so do Argentina because because they've just come through against the Netherlands. But two teams that I think are almost guaranteed to provide fireworks. Croatia, you know for a fact they're never going to go away. They'll keep biting at the Argentinian hills and as will Morocco in their game against France because they've done unbelievably well. Let's not forget, they were in the same group as Croatia and Belgium managed to top it. They beat Spain, they beat Portugal. Could they go all the way and beat France? It's it's a real possibility, uh, James. Obviously, like we said, sort of Morocco are, are a real sort of dark horse. France disposed of England. Um, are they seen as as being you know one of the well being the favourite in this competition? Will that pressure get to them? They weren't anything special against England. For me, England were the better side. So Morocco will be look looking at that game, thinking, you know what? I think we're in with a real chance here, and and that's the that's the important thing. I think France have to be on their game because if they aren't, Morocco will take the spoils, and then we'll be a uh, celebrating a, a you know Morocco to get in the World Cup final for the first time. 
So with that said, who do you fancy to cause the upset more, Croatia or Morocco? Who do I fancy for the up? Oh, I'm thinking <sighs> Croatia. I do. I do because because I'm on the line with Messi, and everyone's just thinking Lionel's going to turn up and he's going to do a bit of magic, and Argentina are going to win three 0 Um, but for me, it, it, it's all set up for Croatia to steal the steal the show like they did against Brazil. So it will be very interesting to see Mor- Morocco. Um, yeah, but I suppose they have a you know the 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 pressure of a, a you know a continent to be on, don't they? Um, France aren't firing all cylinders. Um, but they are where they are because they know how to win. So it'll be interesting, very interesting. For, I think for the for the world of football, is Croatia v Morocco in the final better than Argentina v France, James? I think yes, because granted, as a neutral, it's amazing to see Argentina uh, Argentina versus Brazil. Two quality sides, uh, not Argentina versus Brazil, sorry, Argentina versus France. Two quality sides, two, the two, arguably the two best teams in the tournament. But imagine the fairy tale of Croatia or Morocco lifting that trophy for the first time. It's what dreams are made of. Yeah, and it's going to be a fantastic thing. We'll be talking about all oh, the sports zone. Um, but now we're going to be talking uh, boxing uh, with Paul and James. Well, Paul, the biggest shock of the week. Josh Warrington, in front of a packed-out house in Leeds, surrendered his IBF title to little-known Luis Alberto Lopez in an incredible upset. Yeah, that that was a very unexpected defeat for Warrington. Really, who's who's been a terrific fighter, hasn't he? Um, you know, over the over the last sort of uh, few years, and been been pretty formidable in his home city as well. So yeah, we wasn't really expecting that. It was a massive stage for him as well. And I think you've got to give an awful lot of credit to his opponent who come away from home and put in uh, an exceptional performance. Really, in a performance where he had to dig deep and uh, and go the full distance and, and to get the result. You know in you know, in somebody's backyard, I think that an awful lot of credit is deserved there. So, uh, so yeah, not what Josh Warrington wanted. You could see the devastation on his face after the defeat and how disappointed he was. But, you know, he's a warrior, is Warrington. I'm sure he'll, he'll bounce back. I don't think he's quite done yet, but that's a big, big setback for him. A monumental setback. I mean, he's had an interesting career over the past couple of years. There was the, the victory over Kid Galahad, and a lot of people questioned whether it was just him getting the decision that night. He gets wiped out with Mauricio Laura. There's a draw in the rematch because there was a court. It only lasted two rounds. He bounces back with that demolition job over Kiko Martinez, and now he loses that world title. There wasn't a rematch clause. It's unlikely to happen again. Where does he go from here? Because Lopez, by the sounds of it, is going in another direction. He wants no part of the rematch. I mean, it's quite lucky that he managed to get the decision in Leeds, really, especially considering how partisan that crowd is and the fact that Warrington was throwing the head in all night, as he as he quite often does, and that caused a couple of cuts. But he's not going to get the Lopez fight. Is there another world title he, he fights for, or, or is he coming towards the you know the back end of his career now? I think he's coming towards the back end of his career, James. He's had a good career. Um, he's he's had it without being disrespectful to him. He's fought a few fighters who've been at the tail end of their career. I think he's 
he's got some good decisions in, in fights, but he's he's worked for it. There's no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, like you said, I think he's coming towards the end of his career. If he does want to go for another world title, he's going to have to go down a different road. Uh, maybe look for a different title because Lopez is going to go a different way, and you can't blame him to be honest. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing for him to gain by having a rematch. Is there? If he can get out of that, he's he's got the title now. He can go a, a different way and and progress. So, um, so yeah. So I think for Warrington now, it's, how does he rebuild from here? Do, you, do you, at this stage of his career, does he go for? A domestic dust up, or is it straight back into to world titles? You'd have to speak to him about that and, and see what his promoters come up with. I mean, it, I would have thought he'd want to go straight back in for a, for a world title, but it depends whether there's something in the pipeline. It does, but what's in the pipeline for Lopez is a humongous fight because last night in Belfast, Michael Conlon returned to action, beating former European champion Karen Guerfi inside of the opening round. Looked spectacular off the back of that Lee Wood defeat. They're both managed by top rank. Bob Aaron says that's the direction you're going in, and that's a great fight. He certainly is, yeah. As you said there, Conlon, you're an explosive first-round victory that, that would have made people sit up and, and take note, really. I mean, you know, that sort of performance and that sort of victory, you know, it does get people talking and, you know, people raise their heads and, and say, wow, what, what's that? That's, that's, that's really quite something. So... So yeah, that that would be something that'd be a top fight. That and as you said there, that the the beauty of that is they're both in the similar sort of um, you know in the top rank mould. So you would like to think that that decision gets gets finalised to get around the table and it gets done pretty quickly. So uh, so that could be the next uh, the next shot for Lopez. It could well be. And sticking with top rank, Tiafimo Lopez returned to action last night against Sandor Martin, a man who most famously defeated Mikey Garcia in quite a big upset. Close fight. Lopez got the nod. Not everybody agrees with it. He was captured on camera after the bout saying to his family, have I still got it? Worrying signs for a fighter. Yeah, yeah, certainly worrying signs. I mean, nobody wants careers to, to come to an end, you know, prematurely. But uh, but yeah, as you said, worrying signs there. And um, I don't really, really know where he goes from here, to be honest with you. Terence Crawford returned to action last night. We all wanted it to be against Errol Spence. It wasn't, but still a statement performance against David Avenisian, somebody who we've watched on British shows do fantastic things. His job over Josh Kelly was absolutely fantastic, but levels to this game. Crawford icing him out cold with a thunderous left hook, and surely all roads are heading to the Errol Spence fight now. Yeah, I think you learned about that, his levels. Um, David Avenition is a terrific fighter with terrific power, uh, but Crawford's that level above, isn't he? Um, you know that that the way he, he sorted him out there. I mean, it was a cruel punch. That that's that's one of those where it he's just sort of boxer who wait and wait and wait and just pick that mistake off, and he, not just pick it off, but he'll he'll be devastating consequences, and that's what you saw there. And, I, I was, was thinking about that fight and I thought, you know, Avenisha's got a chance because at that weight, he's a very, very powerful and dangerous man. Um, he carries terrific power, but Crawford, you know, a, a level above really and, and showed, you know, his real class there to, to, to get through a, a very, very tough, tough fight against a tough man, um, but do it in spectacular fashion. And, and now, yeah, like you say, the, the Spence fight is, is the one that we need to see. Well, Crawford's not getting any younger, is it 35? 
you know, he's been an awful lot of tough fights as well. So how long can he go on for? So I think that's the fight now that make the obvious uh, a choice for us to see. And interestingly enough, last night, Errol Spence was in another car crash. A 14-year-old boy stole his parents' car and actually hit Spence with it. It's, it's oh, it beggars belief, doesn't it? It's so dangerous that, I mean, could have finished his career. I mean, I've not heard how he is after that, but, uh, but no, a, a real bizarre story. And let's hope he's okay. Most certainly. We hope he... We hope he gets an all right and hopefully, uh, obviously, gets back to his family safely. He can work towards a ring return next year with, by the looks of it, Keith Furman as the rumoured opponent. But hopefully we, we do get that Terence Crawford fight. Moving back over to Leeds now for a minute. Ebony Bridge is back in action against Shannon O'Connell, defending her IBF belt. She caused yet another stir at the weigh-in with her outfits and advertising <laughs> her OnlyFans account. Bit of a ridiculous stuff from Ebony Bridges, but there's no doubt that she knows how to self-promote. Yeah, yeah, you got to be careful what you say out here, but um, <laughs> yeah, she she does, and I did see that way in, and um, yeah, I think um, Eddie Hearn had his eye on, on that as well, didn't he, at the way in, his face was a picture, but she does, she she knows how to, to sell tickets and, and get the, the, the crowd going, and um, and yeah, it was it was interesting, an interesting fight as well, it was an interesting card actually, you know, at the weekend, there was some, some good fights on that, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed the bits that I've seen, I didn't see it live, but uh, I have seen some of the highlights over the last 24 hours and enjoyed what I saw. Yeah, it was a good little bill down at Leeds Arena. Now, switching over to a different corner of the globe, somewhere where you don't often see boxing, the Seoul Arena in South Korea, Manny Pacquiao returning to the ring against uh, martial arts expert DKU in an exhibition bout. Uh, Pacquiao winning it easily, battering his opponent. Now he's saying he wants to set foot back in the ring. He wants Spence, he wants Crawford. But personally, I'd rather see him stay away from the ring. Yeah, massive, massive news that really, James, when we talk about that. I mean, Manny Pacquiao, I'm not quite sure exactly how old he is, but he's he's sort of a bit older than Spence and Crawford, isn't he? And, and look how many rounds he's done over the years, how many fights he's been over the years. I mean, I'm not for one minute saying he, he can't do it because he's an incredible athlete, but... You know, all what he's done up to now has, has took its toll on his body, took its toll on his mind as well, and his his head. You know, the amount of punishment he's taken in fights. He's, you look back at some of his fights, and they've been real wars, haven't they? Real tough fights. So, what has he got left to prove? I mean, could that be dangerous? Getting back in with somebody like Crawford or Spence, I, I, I don't know. Would it be allowed? I mean, these days, I mean, yeah, they they, they seem to sort of make these fights, don't they? And, and things like this happen. So. I don't know. It makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm not for one minute doubting that Manny Pacquiao, but I don't know. Is it, is it time he, he finished before he does prolonged damage or, or whatever? I don't know. It's, it's probably a debate for somebody else, but it's, it's a bit uneasy with me. You're right. The last thing we want to see happen to a legend like Manny Pacquiao is him to get hurt. What we want from these legends is to celebrate them. And regardless of your opinion on this man, he's had one of the greatest careers in British boxing history. He's beaten so many fantastic fighters. He may not have had the skills of a Floyd Mayweather or a Pernod Whitaker, but he had the heart of a lion, and that's Carl Froch. He's beaten Lucien Butte. He's beaten Mikel Kessler. He's beaten George Groves, as he likes to always tell us in front of 80,000 fans. But we're now looking away from him from being a guy who just talks about his accomplishments to somebody who celebrates them because he's been inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame, and that's an incredible testament to the powers of his ability. 
Carl Frotch. Carl Frotch, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Carl Frotch. Yeah, tr- tremendous. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Manny Pacquiao then. But yes, because we were talking about Pacquiao. But Carl Frotch, he was one of my favourite fighters of all time. Followed his career from from when he first came through, really. And um, love watching him. You know, the Butte fight you just mentioned there. I think that was one of that was one of his defining nights for me. And yeah, the, the Kessler fights were entertainment, edgy seat stuff on it. Two warriors that went absolutely hammer and tongue at each other and they were real brutal battles and uh, yeah the George Grove fights and the needle with George Grove I think you know they were uh, they, they were big fights wasn't they big big domestic dust ups the Super 6 tournament that was involved in as well and yeah some some great nights he's given us you know the Jermaine Taylor fight you know the, the, the late on uh, victory there in that fight and um, you know if you go back early in his career fights against Robin Reed and people like that. Yeah, I remember him saying Robin Reed's probably the, the toughest punch he's ever taken. But but no, what a, what a terrific fighter. And I think for, for boxing purists, I think the one fight, we if we could make a super fight or, or rewind time, would be to see him... Uh, See him, you know, you know, fight that that the, the Welshman. We all we all know we're talking about. So um, yeah, it, I, I don't know. It's yeah, tremendous fighter, Carl. Real tremendous fighter. We all know exactly who you're talking about, Paul. Mister Joe Calzaghi. The one fight that got away in British boxing. I know there was a few others. We've had Ricky Hatton and Junior Witten. There's been of course some other greats. Frotch versus Calzaghi stands out is the one that I would have liked to have seen the most. Who do you think would have won that? Do you know what, Jane? It's it's a massive question, that. I mean, it's so hard. I mean, you don't want to sit on the fence in something like that, but it, you can't really... I can't really pick a winner because, you know, Joe, a terrific fighter, unbeaten, um, fought some of the great fighters. Carl Frotch, the heart that he had and the chin that he had. It'd be a terrific fight. I think it'd go the 12 rounds and I think it, it, then it depends on how you break each round down, does it, doesn't it really? I, I don't know. i probably just edge for Carl Zaggy, but uh, it, it's a real tough one. But it, it's one of those fights you'd love to have seen it happen um, and it didn't. And you just, you just ream, you can ream fights off and, from over the years, can't you, of, of, of guys who've just missed, you know, crossing each other's paths where they've just been in sort of four or five years old or they've got to the end of their career. And yeah, the, these fights don't always happen. I mean, there's just been one recently, hasn't there? The Eubank Jr. fight and um, and Conor Ben that's not happened. Will that happen? I mean, that, that caught our imagination, didn't it? And it's a British fight as well. Uh, ones that really capture, you know, get the juices flowing and that didn't happen. So I'd, I'd like to see that happen in the future, but you know, with what's going on now, we've kind of been, we, he's gone really quiet, hasn't it? So, uh, but no, going back to your question, I've tried to avoid the, the answer there. I, I'm going to say Carl Zaggy just. Well, it's good to actually get it out of you, Paul, because not <laughs> many people want to answer that one. It takes a brave man to go against the Cobra, but I think, being honest, I'd agree with you. But he isn't the only legend inducted this year. Rafael Marquez made the cut, and Tim Bradley as well, a fighter who personified grit and heart, just like Froch did. Oh yeah, Tim Bradley. Yeah, yeah, certainly did. Certainly did. Was in some some terrific fights, and and it's good to see the, these these fighters getting the recognition um, into the Hall of Fame and, and, and having their careers celebrated because uh, you know it, it must be a great achievement, you know, to to to, to have your name mentioned it with with the likes of these real stars, these real heroes over the over the years as well. You know, it's great getting the titles, but to actually get the recognition and and uh, have that sort of uh, 
honour, you know, to, to look back on it and show your family and your grandchildren and things like that. I think it's great when your career's finished because it's tough for boxers. I think, you know, Carl seems to have done really well after his career's finished. I mean, you see him on the television now as a pundit and he looks like he could still fight. He doesn't not put an ounce of weight on. He always looks in fantastic condition. And, um, yeah, I think he could probably still pull the gloves on now and and, and fight. He's probably still at his fighting weight. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's tough after boxing, though, when, when boxers finish and, you know, for them to keep going. And I think it's great that you see people moving into training and moving into punditry and things like that. But to get in the Hall of Fame and get that recognition you deserve just is just the cherry on the cake. Yeah, you absolutely do. And moving on to the final topic today, Paul. Jamel Charlo versus Tim Zhu has finally been arranged for January. A great fight. Charlo, an undisputed world champion now. One of the best pound-for-pound fighters on the planet. But Zoo has looked incredible throughout his career thus far. And we have these fighters, don't we, who are always sort of in the shadows of the father. Tim, at the moment, looks like he might have the ability to match or perhaps even exceed his dad's accomplishments. Yeah, I think you're right there. From what I've seen, he's a very explosive fighter and... This this is a, is a real top fight, isn't it? Now one one to look forward to, and, and and you are right about that. You do look at people sometimes, and you know Chris Eubank Jr. Maybe the prime example there of of a fighter who's probably not quite achieved what he what he couldn't what he can achieve. Um, I know he's a fighter that's not at the end of his career yet, but he needs to really kick on now if he's to to achieve what his dad did. So, uh, But regarding Tim Zhu, I think, yeah, I think he could surpass his father. His father was a terrific fighter involved in some, some great fights and some great nights as well. But I think Tim, a very talented man and, um, yeah, got got the got the genes of his dad, hasn't he? There's no doubt about that. But, uh, but yeah, I think he could surpass that now. He's got time on his side and, you know, gets through this win, gets a big win here. You, you don't know what, what can uh, he can achieve after that. Well, that's all the boxing for today, but we're not done with the show yet. Coming up next, we've got rugby with Rob. Yeah, Paul, obviously, off-season now. Obviously, World Cup finished as well. It's been a really good year, hasn't it, for rugby league? Yeah, it's been enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, if you're a solver supporter like us, it's been a, been a good season. There's been a lot of ups and downs. You know, we had um, a disappointing start to the season and then sort of settled in and, and, and really took the league by storm, didn't we, at the back end of the year and um, was unlucky not to get to a grand final, really. So, so yeah, it was a season of ups and downs, but a season of progress. Um, and then after that, you've had the World Cup as well, where the World Cup had ups and downs, didn't it? You know, England did very well and sort of peaked a bit too soon, really, if you like. And, you know, when it came to the, the crunch and the pressure was on, we, we I say we bottled it, but we weren't good enough um, at the end of the day. But the tournament, I thought, was a, was a success. And, you know, we've had, um, you know, terrific ladies' World Cup as well. I think there was a wheelchair cup. World Cup was fantastic, fantastic excitement and entertainment there. And that's really ca- captured the public's eye. But just speaking domestically, Salford, you know, ladies had a great season, you know, first season, Swinton ladies as well, progressing. So, so yeah, rugby league has been, has been a very enjoyable in 2022. And, you know, 2023 can't come quick enough now. Do you think that Salford can build on the success of the World Cup? I hope so. Yeah, it's been it's been good to see, you know, Tim Lafay signing a contract extension. He was very good in the World Cup and let's hope he kicks on now and has another real good season in twenty twenty three. Um I'm hoping that the, the public of Salford will, will, will buy into it. They'll, they'll enjoy what they've seen on the terrestrial telly. It was great to see rugby league on the big stage and you know, people talking about it around the country. So let's 
talk the public of Salford and the people nearby will come out and watch the team when the when the league starts. You know, we've, the fixtures are out now, the the new shirts out, we've got new signings and you know, a really exciting season ahead of us. And you know, with the signings we've made and the squad we've already got, I, I think we we should be looking at another successful season and hopefully, you know, another another playoff challenge. And that's the important thing, I suppose, with Salford. They've got to back up this uh, winning mentality of last season where we get to a semi-final beaten uh, close by by St. Helens and now we've got to do it all again because obviously the people of Salford will be looking at this and thinking well remembering back to 2006 playoffs and then relegation the year after are you thinking that something similar might happen now or is the situation totally different? Um, I think there's a bit more structure there now Rob I think Um, you know we've kept the spine of the team I think after 2006 we, we lost players, players moved on. I think Andrew Dooneman was a linchpin back then, wasn't he, for us in that 2006 season. He didn't stay on for 2007. We brought Luke Darlin and one or two others and it didn't work out. And for one reason or another, it was a slippery slope, wasn't it? Then I remember us getting absolutely thumped away at Catalan by 60 points and we seemed to crash after that, really. Carlisle got sacked and, you know, things just went from bad to worse. And it was a bit of a transition at the, the club at the time. We got a new coach and we got promoted the year after, which was which was great. Um, but, you know, I think this time we, we, we are more settled. We've got some quality players there. We've got a quality spine for me. You know, Brody Croft and Mark Sneed in the halves. We've got some good three quarters. You know, a good fullback in Ryan Briley, and the, the team looks good. You know, you've had international players there, Andy Ackers, Mark Steed, and Callum Watkins representing England in the World Cup. I and mean, we're never going to be able to say that before. So I think, you know, the makings of a good side are there. We've, we've signed some interesting players as well. You know, I spoke to Oliver Partington last week at the season ticket collection. He's only 24 coming from Wigan. He's, he's a man who's who's played for Wigan in big matches, but has now come to Salford to progress his career. So, I mean, th- that that tells you that's a very ambitious sign in that and, and a lad that wants to do well and, and play International Rugby League while he's playing for Salford. So, he's one to watch out for. You've got other guys coming in, Andrew Dixon, Adam Sidlow, who've, who've come in, the old sort of guard who played for us before to strengthen that pack. We've had a few players move on. But on the whole, we've kept the, you know, the, the spine of the team that was there last season. And that's the important thing, is building on success, isn't it? And not changing the the team as much. Because obviously, if you start changing the team, it might become a bit dysfunctional and it doesn't quite work. Paul Rowley knows how his team plays and plays well. So I think he only wants edges changes, not wholesale changes. Well, yeah, I think when you make wholesale changes, it does take a time to settle and... You know, when, when teams do that sometimes, it can be like a bit of a revolving door, can't you? you? get a load of players moving on and, you know, before you know it and the players have settled, it's took them 12 games to settle in. The, the season's half over, isn't it? So you're not going to challenge them for the, for any honours, really. So, you know, a settled side, a side with a good attitude, got a good coaching staff at Salford as well. You know, Chris Neen, who's come in to, to help out, hasn't he, this season, along with Kurt Agatey and, and, and Paul Rowley there. So, you know, it's he's been good. We've got a real settled... Um, club, you know, the likes of Ian Blee's doing a good job there as well and everybody knows the role and everybody knows the job so I'm really looking forward to it, I'm, I'm really always a bit cautious as a Salford support you know, you're the same, you've watched them a long time but, you know, I think we've not gone shouting about the rooftops again for this season, we've We've sort of a lot of people are predicting us to finish low again. So I think we could we could surprise people again. I mean, you look at last season there, eighty minutes from a grand final. Just just take those games against St. Helens where we played. I think 
the um, you know the the home game we absolutely battered them away from home. I think we lost fourteen ten in a real tight league game. Then we played them in a semi final and lost nineteen twelve. So we played three matches against St. Helens. They were all like super intense playoff games, and you know Saints went on and, and won the title. So you know we, we're not a million miles away from these teams where. You know, going back to 2006, 2007, we, we were light years behind St. Helens and Wigan and teams like that, really, apart from a one-off game. So I think now we're, we're, we're sort of catching these teams up. Yeah, obviously, you know, talking about our successes, there is an article being written in Australia by a Mike Wood who was spoke to Ian Blees, which is a, a director at Salford or a CEO at Salford, who, who you know, is praised for... You know his actions he's taken to to direct the club in, in the last uh, few years. You know with this opportunity club bringing in players from Australia who haven't quite uh, sort of reached the top of their game and given an opportunity to to, to reach the top in England. And uh, he's doing a great job, and it is great that people in Australia are noticing uh, the, the success story at Salford. Yeah, I saw that, but in a way, it's old news. Because we've been doing that for about four or five years. We were doing yeah. that when Ian Watson was there. So I think we remember, I think we were talking about that, weren't we? About the money ball sort of thing when, when Watto was there doing the business, bringing like to Chris Wellerman and people like that. And, you know, uh, Greg Burke and guys from, from Witness that we signed at the time. It was Greg Burke and one or two others that come in. And, you know, Logan Tompkins come in from Wigan and well and one I mentioned there. And, you know, these, these guys come in and people sort of, turn the noses up and, and, and look at that. They took us to a grand final, didn't they? So, um, so yeah, I don't think that's a new thing. I think it's something that's been going on for four or five years now at Salford. And, you know, getting the best out of players and getting that team spirit. I mean, if you think back to the Cash the years, we we signed, you know, people for big money and, you know, shouted from the rooftops, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And we was absolutely hopeless. But I think you can sign all the players you want and spend all the money you want. If you've not got that team spirit, you won't get anywhere. So I think... We've learned now as a club that, you know, get the team right, get the players playing for each other and, 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 and playing for the supporters and, you know, and get that, that bond and that unity at your club and that togetherness and that will to win. Um, that can take you an awful long way. And obviously being an ex-agent, Ian Blee sort of knows both sides of, of the of the game and he, he obviously using that ability to be able to bring these players in. Well, Ian Blees has been involved in professional rugby league since the mid-80s, hasn't he, when he signed for Salford, so he knows the game inside out, you know, he played at the Willows for us for well over 10 years, I think, and then moved on and, you know, got got into his uh, agency stuff, but he's been around the sport, he knows how it works, he knows how it works in the lower leagues, he knows how players move and players form relationships with coaches and how they form relationships with their agent and just just the, the the workings of the game, you know, the stuff that you know the average supporter doesn't see. He knows how all that works. And um, you know, I think it's great to have somebody like that at the club. Somebody who's who's streetwise and not wet behind the ears. I mean, just going back to the Q Cash years there, I think we were a bit wet behind the ears. We were signing players for, for daft money and teams knew they could they could take you for a ride, didn't they? But we don't get taken for a ride anymore. We we sign players and and, and and they sort of move on from us, don't they now? And you know, like like some Hastings who, who left, and yeah, he, he moved on, and he's now playing Australia again. So I think, you know, you come to Salford, and you can you can really make a career for yourself. Not not just moving on, but I think you can make your career, your career at Salford as well. I mean, if Hastings had stayed at Salford, we could probably he probably would have won Challenge Cup with his medal, wouldn't he, if he'd have been in that side? So um, so no, I think you know, Salford no longer have to be the selling club. I think you can come to Salford and play for England and you can play in big finals as well. 
it's opportunity club brings opportunity and that and that's what the mantra has been uh, through the through the last couple of years but when does that switch when when do when do we turn from a opportunity club to a playoff club i think when you win a trophy rob hmm. i think you need to win something i think you need to get to a final and win something it's all right getting to finals and getting to playoffs I think you you need to get over the line. I know when Warrington left Wilderspool and they went to the new stadium, there's a bit of a fanfare there with them. Um, they got to Wembley a few times, won the cup. Um, and once you get over that line and, and, and win trophies, I think you can really build your club. Then you get success on the back of that. You sell shirts, you have big days out. And, um, and it really puts your club on the map. I'm not saying we're not on the map. I think we played a fantastic brand of rugby last season really captured the imagination of the public and people were talking about us. But I think once you get that trophy and uh, get that monkey off your back of actually winning something, I think that's when you can really sort of say, you know, we've arrived. Yeah, because obviously winning a trophy would be a massive thing for the people of Salford. Obviously, we, we haven't uh, won a major trophy. Uh, you'll know better than me, is it 1974? 76. 76. So they, they haven't, you know, been able to reach them heights. But... We've come close, you know, Challenge Cup finals, Grand Finals. I mean, it's a real moment for this for this club that we can hopefully continue this momentum, gain the experience, invest in some more players of, of, of better quality, move the playing group forward, and then next time an opportunity comes where you're in a Grand Final, we can we can win this one. Yeah, the success that the club's had since maybe. Well, since the million pound game, since 2016, you know, the, the 17 season, we got to the semi final. We finished fourth in the regular season that, that year. Uh, had a really solid season. 2018, we were pretty poor. But then 19, you get to a grand final. 20, you get to a Challenge Cup final. Um, 2021 was a bit of a patchy season, wasn't it? But 22, you, you, you just one game away from a grand final again. So I think the last five years or so, We've really progressed. I mean, when you think about what we grew up on in the 80s and the 90s, we're pretty mediocre, really, weren't we? And, you know, all right, we got to the odd semi final, cup semi final, but we were always a bridesmaid, really. We never really got to a final or, or really impressed, did we? We was always, you know, behind the eight ball. But whereas now, I think clubs are starting to take us seriously now and we're going to grounds, we're beating teams. I mean, we, how long was it before we got a win at Edinburgh? Now we've had a few wins there, haven't we? And we've got that monkey off our back. The only one we need to get off now is the St. Helens one winning away from there. But no, I think if you look at last season, that semi-final, the crowd that we took there, the atmosphere that we created, I think was absolutely tremendous. And we want more days like that. We want that to grow next season. We don't want people to just come for a one-off game in a playoff, get behind the club. And, you know, the club could, with that little bit of extra income and people going watching, the club could really take off. That comes down to season tickets, shirt sales. I know the, the club have uh, unveiled the new home and away shirts. What do you think of them? I think they're really nice. I think the home shirt, particularly the, the socks, I'm a big fan of the socks, you know, the red and white hoops. And yeah, I think the kit looks really, really smart. It's a bit of a, it's, it's similar to the, the 2011 shirt we had at the, the Willows last season, the Willows. I think it's a real traditional kit. Um, really like it. Really good. And um, I think we're going to look smart in that next season. And, you know, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure the club will be, be selling plenty of those. And, you know, just when we went to the season ticket collection um, last Sunday, I was looking at the ladies giving them out at the, the door. They looked like there's plenty of cards there in those boxes. So, you know, it's hard to count. We were just looking at them like uh, with a naked eye, but they looked like there was plenty there. So hopefully we've sold plenty of season tickets as well. Yeah, impressed with the socks or foot fetish. I'll, uh, I'll let our listeners <laughs> die. Talking about, 
Talking about last uh, last week, there was an open day, well attended. Uh, ladies team training, uh, questions for the men's team, wheelchair rugby as well for for fans wanting to get involved. That real community moment for everyone. Yeah, it's great, and the stadium, the little mini stadium tour as well, getting to go in the, the changing rooms and yeah, and walk down the tunnel and go on to the. the well, we didn't go onto the pitch. We don't want to. You know, upset uh, Mark Ryan, the uh, growls <laughs> can do it. We didn't touch the pitch, but, nope. but no, um, but no, I thought I thought it was a really enjoyable day, Rob. I really enjoyed it, and um, you no, know, my my kids went and enjoyed it, and it was it was a good day. There was lots of, of youngins there getting the season tickets, and with the mums and dads and things like that. A real, real family feel, as you said, and you know, great to see the players there rubbing shoulders with the supporters and just chatting, having having that time to chat with the supporters. It, it, it's a real family club, Salford now, and. We've we've said that for a few years. The players are so close to the supporters, and I think you've only got to talk to somebody like Ryan Bryler, who's come to Salford, and he feels like he's really at home now, doesn't he? And uh, you know, playing for the club he supported as a boy, and you can look at the adulation the supporters have for him, and and and, and what he has for the fans as well. So. I just hope it's a really successful season. We can obviously we've got a few players who've picked up injuries like Ryan for the start of the season, Callum as well. But once we get that that fully fit side in the pitch, I think we'll take some beating. Yeah, the club have really put a massive effort in, into building links within the community. I know the club, well, the South Red Devils Foundation, are holding free school holiday dance uh, competition between on the twenty second and twenty third, uh, one Hilton Square in Swinton, uh, ten a.m. till two p.m. Um, if you want to get involved in that, ring 07538042666 and and book your place. I think it's great. Obviously, the club really want to engage with with the people of Salford because that's important. We talked about season tickets, talked about shirts, but the future are the kids. Oh, of course, yeah, Rob. Of course, yeah. That's how we got addicted, didn't we, when we were kids? You know, just little things like you know your junior reds and your Christmas party and your you sort of free pen and your autograph book and stuff like that. He got you addicted and probably something that sometimes you wish you hadn't done. You know the amount of money that you spend going following him here, there, and everywhere. But yeah, of course it is. Kids are the, are the future, and if you can get your know, kids hooked, you know, get them a scarf, get them a badge, and things like that, they, you won't you won't lose them. They'll they'll stay with you, and you'll get that loyalty and, and what have you. So um, so yeah, it's great to see the kids getting involved and. Great to see the, the the supporters trust doing their work, the ladies team doing their work. You know, you know, you see lots of girls watching the the rugby league now. My daughter is prime example. She's got bang into it, and I'm 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 convinced that you know watching the ladies and seeing them play has got her in, interested in it. So it's great. It's a great time to be a supporter. Last season was so enjoyable. Um, all right, there was there was down days. We had, we had defeats and things like that, but really enjoyable time to be a supporter. And it does feel like the club is finally, finally looking up. And um, you know, there's a bit of ambition there as well. Now it's it's exciting times. Yeah, talking about the ladies, uh, Paul Brogan Evans was selected to play for England <clears throat> Unity Lions against the English DISE team. Unfortunately, it was called off due to a frozen pitch. But it shows how good uh, Brogan and the other ladies are in the club because they can represent England. Yeah, definitely. Had a great season and, you know, for the first season as well, I think it's been tremendous. Um, this this season's going to be, you know, it's momentum again now, isn't it? You know, your second season, you, you get things right. I think they can only get stronger and stronger. And that's the important thing, isn't it? It's about growing as a, as a club, obviously, and as a team. The ladies' team only been going uh, sort of twelve months, and, and that's a that's the thing that's got to be sort of really celebrated that they managed to gain promotion. They won the league cup, and 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 they built on that. And obviously, we were hoping for more in, in Super League Two next season. 
Yeah, I think you'll get more as well, Rob. I think they'll go from strength to strength. Um, I don't think last season was a fluke. I think that was testament to all the hard work that was done on and off the pitch. And, and I'm sure that hard work will continue now in 2023. You've got an ambitious squad there. You know, ambitious players who, who want to get better and better. They absolutely love it. You see the the camaraderie they have in that squad and the, the bond that they've got in that squad. That's going to get, it's going to snowball, I think, every season now. Yeah. And obviously, with a minute and a half to go, Paul, <coughs> it's so important the fans get behind the ladies and, and the learning disability team and the physical disability team and the wheelchair team because obviously support and obviously raising funds, sponsorship is involved, you know, and the club are looking for sponsors. So hopefully, people can get involved in that. Yeah, you know, whatever whatever team you're involved in, at the end of the day, it's all the rugby league club and it's our club uh, and those teams, uh, they're all representing us, representing our city and our club that's got 150 years of history uh, next season. So um, so that's something else that we celebrated 150 years. So, so yeah, get behind every team. Yeah, 50 seconds to go, Paul. What what, what kind of things are you looking forward to in 2023? <clears throat> A Challenge Cup win, <laughs> be, it'd be tremendous to get to a Challenge Cup final and win that. Um, just progression, Rob. Great to see the ladies do well again. The learning disability team, physical disabilities team, as you said. The wheelchair team, that'll be great to see that when it happens. Um, you know, the, the the men's team getting better and better and, and hopefully just picking up a bit of silverware. But that'd, be, that'd be the icing on the cake for me. Yeah, that'll be so exciting for, for the people of Salford to have a you know, whole club going in the right direction and enjoying the rugby league. And, that, and that's what we're all about at Salford. Big thanks for tuning in to this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. <laughs>